On today's show, we're focusing on just one article, the future of work in green offices. Industry expert Chris Merriman joins us today. Chris is a tech journalist after making TV and radio appearances, and he's written this article for the Harvey Nash Group. So have a look in the show notes. You can find the article there. It's got loads of practical examples of what companies are doing to try and combat the size of their carbon footprint. We've also got Heike joining us from Finland. He's the head of international consulting at Alumni. So on today's episode of Insert Title here, uh, I've got Heike uh, from Alumni joining us from the Nordics. You have to forgive me. Uh, I don't want to screw this up and, and get the wrong country. Where exactly in Scandinavia are you? Hey, nice to be here, David. I'm in Finland at the moment. Um, and I imagine Finland probably getting quite a lot of sunlight at the moment. It must be lovely coming into this time of year. It is. It's, it's been a fantastic winter as well. You know, there was tons of snow and now it's all gone. You know, the spring's up, you know, flowers are, you know, flowering. So it's the, the, the transition from winter to summer is, is fantastic. So it's, it's a great place to be. Yeah, it sounds like the environment is working there, unlike in the UK, where it's the middle of April and it was snowing pretty much all over the country, <laughs> which is, is just wrong. And leads us quite nicely into what we're talking about today, because we've got the author of today's article, Chris Merriman, with us. How are you, Chris? I'm very good, thank you. Thank you for having me. No, it's lovely for you to join us. Uh, anyone who's been listening to these will know that we, we talk about articles and I basically steal them from the internet. Uh, so it's quite nice to actually have the author of an article, which you've kindly written for the Harvey Nash Group. So that's, that's very good. But look, um, yeah, this article is all about practical steps that organizations can take to think about the impact they're having on the environment. And we're all too aware, keenly aware of what's going on, I suppose. Um, just a point, you, you, you kind of talk about the fact that um, well, emissions globally dropped by about 17% during the first lockdown. And it kind of felt like everyone looked at those satellite images on news reports and went, oh my God, what a difference. Isn't this astonishing? And people said, is this going to make a big change? And it just doesn't really feel like it has. Mm. Uh, certainly, it was the same when I, where I am in London. I'm right on the top of a hill and I can look down onto Canary Wharf, the, the main business district, and that you could see there was an entire layer of brown smog that was missing from the atmosphere during lockdown and it's just starting to come back now. So it, it's definitely noticeable visually, um, but... It, in in the great scheme of things, maybe it's not done as much as we thought it it was. It seemed like it was doing, shall we say? Why do you think that is? I mean, people are very tuned. I mean, people are very tuned into this all over the world. I mean, you just have to look to kind of Greta Thunberg and the, and the work that she's done. Obviously, thinking about the the Scandinavia and and the amount of attention that's been brought to climate change there. But no matter how important and invested individuals seem to be industry rules and just seems to bounce back absolutely and particularly even if it seems like things were better here um then there are plenty of um countries who aren't as far forward in um, reducing emissions and uh, they're still churning toxic stuff into the atmosphere and and that's what's really doing the harm and that's not to say that what we're doing is making no difference, but it does mean that for all the good th that we're doing, it, we've got to look at this from a global perspective, not just mm. uh, looking down the hill at what I can see. 
Yeah, I, th I think there's been, you know, an interesting development in the past few years here in the Nordics where especially the millennials are are questioning more and more about the decisions that the companies are making. So instead of just looking at, you know, what are you paying for me as my salary and what are my benefits, they are more questioning that, you know, actually it's not just what are you doing for me, but what are you doing for the society and the environment? And I think... Uh, the, the Swedes, they have the flight shame kind of even a, a, a own word, word for it that, you know, people are ashamed to admit that they are taking a flight somewhere, you know, whether it's for vacation or, or for work. And I think that's an interesting topic to sort of think about that, you know, individuals are actually ashamed of, you know, what are their carbon footprints and, you know, how are they affecting the world? Certainly, when I was zipping back and forth um, across the Atlantic and various other places before the world changed, um, you know, it, it was starting to become more of a thing that people would gently rib me for my carbon footprint for the amount of flying I was doing. Um, and it's certainly, it, it's something that that comes up more, people are more aware of it. But have they actually changed their behaviours? How many of the people mm. that were you know, taking the mickey out of me for it, have they actually changed, you know, how much flying they're doing? And the answer is probably no. <laughs> <laughs> I love in the article that you say that companies should come up with a change manifesto together. And I suppose, Heike, to your point about kind of what employees want and perhaps in particular mm. kind of Gen Z and millennials. But better engagement means better buy-in when you consider an in, in, incentive scheme rather for people who are actively doing the right thing. An eco-warrior of the month, for example. I mean... Mm. Is that, I suppose we want to positively reinforce good behavior, but there is that thing of, you know, actually shaming people for, for perhaps making the wrong choices needs to happen to a certain degree. I think this is like peer pressure is a big thing that, you know, in this case as well, that, you know, if we are shaming Chris or, or myself or David, you that, you know, we're flying way too much, you know, as long as if the peer pressure is big enough, I'm sure that, you know, some changes will happen but if it's just you know superficial you know it's it's my task to shame you guys for you know doing the wrong things then the the change it, it won't stick so i think slowly you know that the, the the not the shaming but the peer pressure gets more and more you know indebted or you know ingrained in our way of communication and i think that'll eventually change some things as well and as long as we have good examples on what to do and and you know easy choices and and you know that that that's in my opinion one way to go does it does it like does it need to become kind of a socially unacceptable activity in a, in a kind of way that smoking was initially you know oh you can't tell me not to smoke and whatever else and now it's it's it seems to be perfectly fine to turn around to someone and, and actually kind of actively say smoking is really bad and you shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> and it's kind of, it's just not socially not acceptable to smoke near the office. People have to kind of, I always feel, and I, I say this with sensitivity because obviously I've got some good friends who do smoke, but they always, they always seem to be shoved around the corner of the building out of sight in the rain in the middle of winter. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, all right, if you're going to do that, we're going to make you suffer. One of the problems that we've got at the moment is that certainly, I mean, I don't know if it's been uh, the same up there in the Nordics, but certainly I've noticed that for all the industrial um, reduction in output, uh, there are more and more little outs about. Um, litter has become a massive problem during the pandemic. And equally, um, drilling down a little bit further, um, people who've bought puppies during the lockdown and haven't actually joined up the fact that um, 
you know, when puppies do what puppies do, it's their job to pick it up. So in a way, we've actually rolled backwards. Um, and so getting that peer pressure in is going to be massively important to turn it back around because so many people have just, it feels like they've just given up caring. Or they, they're, they're quite happy to look at it from a global perspective, but they're unwilling to take individual responsibility um, and are actually yeah. doing more harm that way. Yeah, and, and, and even though I just sort of emphasized how good an advocate peer pressure is, I, I still feel that, you know, positive reinforcement is much, much better way to do it. And I, Chris, love the way that you wrote in your article about, you know, for example, you know, how much electricity routers, you know, spend that, you know, people don't necessarily even think about. And I think I read it, an, another article that, you know, if you are pointing your browser to a website, you know, please write the entire URL instead of going there via Google, because, you know, that Google search actually spends more energy to do than, you know, pointing directly to the, the actual web page. So, you know, could we, you know, basically using a simple, you know, development in our, in our software that, you know, the, the, the browser would automatically try the, the most common dot com or dot net or whatever URLs that you're trying to reach instead of automatically Googling it and thus actually reducing energy consumption in, in, in sort of in the grand scheme of things. Sure. I mean, that's, that, that's a great idea and it is quite stunning. One of the things that really struck me when I was researching the piece was just the amount of things, like you say, like, you know, going via a search engine has a carbon footprint. Not reading an email, but then not deleting it either has a carbon footprint. Um, you know, if you're one of these people that keeps 20,000 unread emails in their inbox, I won't ask either of you, um, then, you know, you are creating more carbon by having it sitting there in a data center and read. For anyone who's listening, that Chris's article does does reference the fact that any email we receive releases an estimated 0.3 grams of CO2 into the atmosphere, which I know 0.3 grams doesn't sound like a lot, but any email with mm. the amount of absolute rubbish that gets sent into inboxes with spam folders. That I mean, I I, I am absolutely guilty of having uh, of signing up to mailing lists and then just having it go into spam folders with probably thousands of emails sitting there that I've never looked at. Mm, I'm, I'm, I'm exactly the same. I mean, I'm, I, I tend to empty them every day, but what I'm not doing is then unsubscribing. So I'm not. I'm just perpetuating the problem every time. Yeah, I'm a, a relative sort of prudent and diligent there. I have a relatively thick foil hat so that you know, I make sure that you know I, I get absolutely no. So extra emails. But I, I saw a fantastic infograph on Reddit as well, uh, looking at, you know, how plastic is being recycled. And even though I think plastic is one of probably the, the few materials that we do recycle quite a bit, there is a surprisingly small amount out of the plastic that goes into recycling goes back into use. So they, it's it's just deemed unusable in, in the recycling that we're doing currently. And it's ended up in landfills and, and part of it, it's then, you know, seeped into the oceans and, and then we have the huge plastic rafts out there. So mm. it's not just the mindset that, you know, do people recycle it's then to do about the processes as well that, you know, how good is the actual recycling process? And I think glass and metal are the two, the, the, the best uh, efficiency in recycling at the moment. But, yeah. you know, going back to things that, you know, sort of offices can do, it's informing on what is and isn't recyclable. There's seven 
categories of plastics, some of which are recyclable, some of which aren't, but then group seven is everything that doesn't fall into the other six categories, which is not really very helpful. Um, you know, it's about... It, the, the, one of my little maxims in the world is that assume people are going to be lazy. And what that means is if you want to get them to do the right thing, you have to make it as easy as possible. And that means, you know, you almost have to have on a piece of plastic, yes or no. Uh, otherwise, people will just assume no and throw it with the regular rubbish. Yeah, and there's there's good there's I think there's comments around kind of coffee in the off in the office uh, in your article. I, I think back to our to our place in London, um, we used to have the Nespresso capsules, which I think are notorious or they were notoriously difficult to recycle, weren't they? And we all bitterly complained when they switched to kind of automatic coffee makers, coffee machines. But Christ, the amount of plastic those things must have saved over the years. Mm. I mean, just to, to be completely fair to the makers of those capsules, they have cleaned their act up a bit improved, yeah it took a lot there's lots of things like that as well though there's also um uh, disposable vapes as well they're becoming more and more common as opposed to you know vapes with uh, with e-liquid you just get a little pod and plug that in and then throw the entire pod away and because it's got um e-liquid still on the inside of it then there's no way you can recycle that bit of plastic at all so you know you're creating yeah however many a day i mean I, i'm no expert in in vaping but i mean you could be creating hundreds of these things a week uh just on your own and it's impossible to recycle them i love just thinking about um the work situation that we find ourselves in at the moment i, I love the fact that you uh mentioned the pwa app an eco companion uh, that empowers everyone to measure understand and reduce their carbon footprint so it's a consumer app that's free to use uh, also have a business offering for the likes, I think you mentioned BrewDog, Standard Life, um, Aberdeen, to enable their employees to reduce carbon footprints at home and at work and beyond, which is is a really cool idea because we all think about what our offices do and don't do. But, you know, I, I was I was sitting in my, in my uh, uh, kitchen having a coffee from Costa every single day and not using a recyclable cup, and now I have a coffee machine at home, which seems a bit extravagant, but it wasn't that expensive. But at least I'm not I'm not getting single-use plastics from the coffee shop every day. Mm, mm. And it, it does make a difference, that kind of thing. You know, you, of course, you then get into the argument about um, making sure that the washing up gets done. And I've, I've been in offices where, you know, you can be surrounded by dirty coffee cups for weeks and weeks because nobody wants to take responsibility. So you have to factor things like that in. But yeah, absolutely. In terms of consumables, you will use so much less if you use, um, you know, sort of uh, the, the, uh, the cups or the, uh, the, the coffee flasks or things like that and just make sure you wash them up. It's just... Or, or get a dishwasher or something like that. It's just really, really important. Again, going back to this, assume people are lazy, um, make it as easy as possible for them to use something and then use it again. And I don't know how much... I haven't been in the UK for the past year and a half for reasons obvious to everybody. But, you know, at least in the Nordics, majority, I think every single cafe that we have, they are actually selling cheap coffee cheaper if you bring your own cup. So you need to pay a few, you know, a few 10 cents more if you want to buy a cardboard cup to begin with. So I think that's 
coming to Chris's comment that you know you need to make it easy and you need to make it worthwhile as well. So if you're buying five cups a day of coffee from a coffee shop, you know you naturally you already save quite a hefty sum of money in a month if you use your own mm. uh, recyclable cup. Yeah, yeah I think some of the big chains are doing that here, but it doesn't really seem to have taken off in the same way in terms of people actually doing it. I mean. I, I'm as guilty as anybody of, of, of not remembering to take my flask with me. And I've got a really funky one that yeah. keeps the temperature um, for about two hours after I've, you know, after you've bought the coffee. But um, I don't necessarily remember to put it in my bag because it's one more thing to carry. Um, and again, you know, people will always go for the, the, the easiest option. But yeah, absolutely. If you can train yourself or get in the habit of taking a water bottle with you um, that you can recycle. I've got one that actually, when it's empty, it folds up uh, into a little ball. So it takes up no room in your bag. Um, take your coffee flask or a reusable coffee mug. Keep one at work. Um, yeah, you can make a tremendous amount of difference with stuff like that. Um, avoid those little sachets of milk as well, the little pots of milk, because that's all, you know, uh, you, if, if there's any foil left attached to the plastic, that's it. You can't recycle either of them. I think the, the biggest the biggest sort of eye-opener for myself personally is, I mean, at the moment here in the Nordics, we recycle everything. I have like seven, eight different bins at our home that, you know, bio-waste goes somewhere, in different metals, different plastics, you know, paper, cardboard, everything. But I think it was about... 20 years ago, I was visiting India and, you know, seeing, you know, you toss everything on the street, you know, mm. mop it up as a single pile and then burn it on the street. And that sort of difference from where I come from, where we already recycle and, you know, separate everything at home. And then they are taken to processing plants to be recycled or taken rid of in a different manner. That, that sort of was a big eye opener that, you know, by the way, even though my decisions per se don't have a huge impact for the, the the climate at the moment, but they do set an example for you know generations to come, and and, and hence uh, that made me you know recycle much much more and, and try to make more sustainable choices. And you you are embracing the culture, and the more people embrace the culture, the more other people will embrace the culture, and it will become the norm. So that's absolutely great. I mean, I'd be interested to know: Do you? Yeah. Of things like the number of bins and the colour of the bin for the different things, are they consistent all over Finland? Because certainly here it goes by local authority. Sometimes you have two bins. Sometimes you have six bins. Uh, sometimes the black bin is the one for non-recyclable. Sometimes the black bin is the one for garden waste. You know, people don't know necessarily and the same is true you know with with offices you don't necessarily know what your local authority can um safely recycle and how to get it to them because there's no consistency in the communication here and that's something we really 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 need to work on i think it sounds like you know they need a lot of service designers now it's like user interface for recycling that needs to be overhauled mm, mm, absolutely just thinking about by the way, I t totally sympathise or, or agree with that rather because I've just moved house and we've gone from an area where we had three separate bins for our recycling now to one bin for our recycling. We're kind of mm. thinking, well, hang on a minute, are they really sorting through it all? But okay, um, yes, no, <laughs> they're not. <laughs> um, just to get back to kind of stuff that companies can do, this one's a bit out there, but I loved it. You spoke to a company who has given up their entire building and replaced it with a narrow boat to be used as a meeting room, a staff bar, a breakout room, and the whole thing can obviously be moved, assuming that there's water suitable nearby, of course. 
Um, obviously slightly extreme, but also slightly wonderful. Mm. I mean, it saved them a fortune over using a, you know, hired premises. Um, and then they've got that. That is an asset for their business. Um, it's uh, very, very sustainable as a way of getting about. Um, and uh, it can be moved where it's needed. Or if they want to have an away day, they can have an away day on the barge itself, which is just fantastic. Um, the, the fact is, I think as we're you know, some places will want to go back to um, office-based life, but I don't think that it's going to be everybody by any stretch of the imagination. And these clever alternatives to expensive, um, you know, carbon-guzzling buildings is is going to be something worth considering, both to save your company money and, to get all groovy for a second, save the planet. Yeah, absolutely. Look, there's some wonderful examples in there, so we won't talk too much. I'll encourage everyone to head over uh, and, and give it a read. It'll There'll be a link in the show notes if you're listening along, so just click on that. Go have a read of Chris's work. Uh, Heiki, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks you for having me. And, of course, uh, whilst this is going out on the 15th, the 22nd, next Thursday, is World Earth Day. Uh, so hopefully a, a good reminder for everyone to actually put some of these, or encourage their company, rather, to put some of these practices into place. 